This is Bob. Hey, Bob, it's Eric. How are you? I'm good, Eric. Hey, let me ask you a question. Oh, oh, Audible, change up. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Audible is a line of scrimmage. So, okay, you've been in, how long have you been in the consulting biz? Uh, I joined the Staymates crew in 1999. Okay, so you're coming up on 20 years. <laughs> I don't know, if that, is that pewter? I don't know what that is exactly. Well, we've had stuff where I know that. So, let me, here's the question. What do you, what do you know now as a consultant, having worked with hundreds of clients on all kinds of different issues, that you wish you knew when you started? Oh, man, that's a good one. Okay, you have to answer it too, but I'll take a stab at it. Um, first of all, I, I know now that consulting is not about telling. It's about listening. And I remember the, the fear and trepidation in my heart when I stepped into this role on your team that many years ago, thinking, do I really know everything I need to know to provide good counsel to clients in need? And I, I agonize over that. You know, you read voraciously and you soak up everything you can and and honestly, it probably wasn't until, you know, 10 years in, well, maybe maybe five, I'll give myself the benefit of the doubt, that I realized that I provide, I will always provide better counsel if I don't start the conversation by talking. And that, I think, has really changed a lot of how I approach, frankly, everything I do, from, from the, the consulting work, the visits, and uh, to the audit processes, to even the presentations, and, and frankly, even the, the pitches for new work. So I think that well, I know you, you like to say that you know research is the new listening, and of course research is always listening. But right. I think you're putting the emphasis on the, the the listening part. Absolutely, and I think the other thing that I've realized that um, that's kind of interesting and fascinating and funny and, and encouraging, frankly, is that on every campus there is that person. Uh, you know, I spent 15 years on my own campus, um, and in that 15 years, on it, you know, as anybody does on any campus, you you know this person acts that way, and this person fills that role, and this person is always going to begin by saying no, and this person is always going to be thinking outside the box, and this person is always going to be unable to get outside the box. And there's, you know, one sort of personality type <laughs> that fits any number of, of profiles, and there there is that same collection to some degree on every campus. And uh, it's fascinating that campus communities think that they sort of are unique and distinctive. And they are. They're all peculiar in their own wonderful, special way. But but because of the nature of the work and the nature of the culture, I think that there are so many similarities between and among campuses that it's it's fascinating and wonderful to find, you know, find the Bob Severe on each campus or find the Eric Sickler on That's each campus. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, those, those two things, and, and as a result of that, the problems and the challenges that all campuses face are, uh, and it's it's an over overstatement to say they're they're largely the same, but they're very very similar and just nuanced. And it's the fun part is, is identifying the nuances and working with them. I think those are the big the big two observations. Yeah, I, I you. Well, you said yeah, exactly. I would say that um, you mentioned listening, and I absolutely agree with that. I would I would just back it up a little bit as. I think that the, the importance of asking the right question yeah. is really critical, and, and listening to what they say, and also really kind of listening to what they're not saying, 
and the looks they give each other when you broach a certain topic. And eventually you do stumble across the elephant or the elephants or maybe the herd of elephants in the room. And you've got to get to those. Yeah. Yeah. You've just got to get to those. Yeah. And uh, so I think the listening, the good questions is important. I would say the other thing I've really learned is that there are almost every issue has baggage tied to it. And until you really identify that, and that maybe that's part of listening, you, know, you can make the most logical recommendation in the world, but unless you fully understand the context in which that's going to be received, it probably is a no-go. Yeah, context is so, so everything. It really is. The, back to the listing and, and, and the context issue, that all kind of adds up to, to the notion, the, the essential nature of effective problem definition. And I think one of the inherent problems or challenges of any community of humans who are smart is that they they rush to diagnose and prescribe without really doing a full examination. Do you follow? Uh, I think smart people. It, it, it is, you know, we we are wonderful. <laughs> smart people, but you can help people understand it. <laughs> but you get a, you get a, a mass of us together, and it, it's this sort of um, uh, phenomenon that takes place, and that is. You know, damn the examination, full speed the prescription. Without really solid problem definition, a school can waste a lot of time and money and, and political chits, uh, you know, C-H-I-T-S. Um, so I think that problem definition issue is, is, a, is another one. Yeah, that's and, and you know what? I, I mean, I, I just finished a white paper for new presidents, and it basically is, you know, 20, and I know it's way too many, but 20 questions they really need to get the answer to. Oh. And, and one of them is, what are the issues that we keep talking about that we need to just set aside for two years and just not worry? Yeah. Should we change the name? Should we offer this? Should we do that? That are just so distracting from the need to attend to the day-to-day. Um, you know, one of the questions I came up with, and I'll run this by you, is, you know, if you were a, a president, you can't do this with faculty, but take your, your administrators your administrative staff, and rank order them by salary. And then rank order, and then add some kind of quote number in terms of, okay, these people are highly valuable to the institution. And then compare the people that are highly valuable in their salary with the people that are less valuable that have just been there longer. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Because I think there's a certain amount of rewarding staying in place yeah. that higher ed is really paying through the nose for right now. I know that's going to go over like a little bit. But it's kind of stuff I've discussed about. being rewarded for tenacity. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the, you know, you, you get a bonus for showing up. And, but, the, you know, the reality is the, the real performers need to be able to, need to feel like their their contribution is valued. That's right, because and if, if the word gets out and those performers go away if they're not sort of uh, held on to. And it's not, you know, rewarding is not always salary. Right. You know, sometimes it's opportunity. Sometimes it's being left alone. Yeah. Sometimes it's being given a plum assignment. But, you know, we kind of wandered a little bit from the script. No, that's good, though. I like you that. Know, you got, 
20 years worth of experience, what have we learned? Yeah. You know, I think another thing that I've probably learned is that higher education, I don't think I really fully appreciated how sincere and hardworking most of the people are at college. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's they may fair. not always be doing the right thing, but they believe in their institutions, and they, many of them have sacrificed the opportunities to make more money or do other things because they believe in uh, the church-related school or the particular mission or the, the type of kids they're serving. And, you know, the nobility of higher ed never ceases to amaze. Yep, yep. It's the contribution to the greater good that I think makes this work together with our clients so fulfilling and noble. Yeah, that's probably what gets me on airplanes. To <laughs> Amen. I won't name the city, but I'm thinking of Flint. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I got, I got home at one thirty this morning from a, from a flight debacle, so it's worth it, though. Hey, thanks, buddy. Good yeah. question. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.